0: Welcome to Conversation Pace. I'm your host, Brian Rossetti. Today's episode, I spoke with two-time Olympian Kim Conley. Kim currently lives and trains in Flagstaff, Arizona, and also coaches athletes on V.02 with McCurdy Train. If you haven't seen her photo finish in the 5K at the 2012 Olympic trials, make sure to watch on YouTube. It's one of the most memorable finishes in US track and field history. You'll hear what was going on in her head during the race and learn why it's so important to have a strong mental game in this sport. Kim's now 35, shooting for her third Olympics, this time in the marathon. We focus on how she went from 80th at NCAAs in cross country in 2008 to qualifying for the Olympics just four years later. As you'll hear, her mom knew, and it's clear she had great coaching guidance, along with great support from her family. Hope you enjoy our conversation. Okay, Kim. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. I'm happy to be here.
0: Awesome. So you're in Flagstaff now, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. We um we were going back and forth between here in California for several years, and then in 2020 decided to make it a full time move.
0: No way. So how's the the transition going?
1: Great. Yeah. I mean, well, I have so many friends here. So with that as your starting point, it's pretty nice.
0: And then what about weather and just environment and
1: community all that stuff yeah all of it i mean the training is amazing just like all all the places to run and the uh, the forest roads to explore um and then i mean last winter we had a lot of snow but that was fine like we, we like we did take a few few days off to go to phoenix um but this winter has been really really mild which you know, on some level, I do wish there were a little bit more snow just, you know, for, for the environment and because it's beautiful. But for training purposes, it's been amazing.
0: Oh, that's great. And then what about, so yes. last winter, do you also drop down to Sedona or wasn't even that great there?
1: Um, Yeah, we do drop down to Sedoma, Sedona. We drop down to Camp Verde. Um, but yeah, with the big storm last winter, like there were there was snow on the ground, like with the saguaro cacti, like as you're approaching Phoenix, it snowed so low,
0: wow, yeah, I've, it's pretty cool. i spent some time in in Flagstaff. Jeez, I feel like half our guests are are in Flagstaff now,
1: um,
0: <laughs> which is cool, but we used to do a um an adult running retreat in Flagstaff with uh I don't know if you've run into Vince Sherry who owns the the running store. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, Vince and I used to do a a cant with Mike Smith and it was such a blast. I miss it. It was just so much work and it was, it got tough yeah. to manage and continue to juggle. And then Mike got into college coaching and Vince really got invested in the store. So it kind of broke down, but man, I miss it. So you, what about training? Like you were splitting time. Now you're at altitude. Full time. I'm just curious how much you enjoy that um, versus before, where maybe you'd come up and do some training stints.
1: Yeah. I mean, before I was always so excited to get here and I was always so sad to leave. So, <laughs> um, like, you know, just kind of like on overall balance, I'm so happy to live here now. And then I do. I do get tired sometimes when I've had like pretty big training blocks. Like, like if I've been here eight weeks straight or more. Um, and so we'll just take little breaks to do sea level camps, rather, you know, rather than the reverse of living at sea level and doing altitude camps. Now we live at altitude and do sea level camps. Um, but the sea level camps like don't need to be a month like they do when you do a altitude camp, you know, for the physiological benefit. Um, so for a sea level camp, like sometimes it's just a long weekend, sometimes it's a week, just like, get out of town, hit some harder workouts that you can do at sea level and, um, sleep with all that oxygen, just kind of come back feeling refreshed.
0: Yeah. And you, you feel like you train well, you adapt well to the altitude now.
1: Yeah. It's funny. Cause it used to feel so hard coming here and I really don't experience that ever anymore. I mean, I like for some family reasons, I was on the East coast for eight weeks this fall and i so i kind of wondered if returning to flagstaff would feel hard at that, that time around and, and it still really didn't i've just kind of completely adapted to to running here
0: oh that's great i actually didn't <laughs> i didn't enjoy running there every time we went up <laughs> I was like running at us hard like it's <laughs> i don't you know i loved being out there and on the, the forest roads and and then it was funny because I did the, that snowball run up to the top of the mountain. And I think it was like my fourth day there when the race went oh. off. <laughs> I remember Jack telling me like, oh, you know, you want to race as soon as you get up here. And i would be like, oh, great. I thought I was like, oh, I'll give myself a few days <laughs> before. He's like, no, that was probably the worst time to race.
1: Worst day. Yep. For
0: sure. <laughs> I hear so many people I've actually had athletes where they're like, Yeah, I'm gonna do this altitude marathon and we're gonna go a few days earlier. And I'm always like, No, it was like they already booked the flight.
1: <laughs> yep.
0: And then it's like, shoot, as a coach, I'm like, do I just tell them great at this point and they keep them positive? Or do I tell them like, no, don't do that, switch your flight. I don't know. Yeah.
1: Time. Yeah, so, that's tough
0: um so you're on the app now you're on dot coaching or or maybe yeah or not yeah.
1: yet. yeah no yeah i started um coaching with mccurdy train um in the second half of 2021
0: and yeah awesome so have you been doing private coaching and this is just with a with a new group i know you have coached before right on the collegiate level or were you doing that's right
1: before? Yeah, no. So I was I was coaching on the collegiate level when I first came out of college. Um and then I stepped back after like my own running career took off because um I was just too stretched between the two. I didn't feel like I was being the best coach I could be, you know, like kind of like traveling all over for altitude camps and races. Mm-hmm. Um and and then I didn't feel like I was being the best professional runner I could be either when you're like you know, like cramming in your run before practice and then standing around like on a cold, windy, rainy day watching the athletes practice. Um, so, so eventually I kind of had to like, you know, do some hard assessment of like what I was doing and, and, you know, realize that my limited, my window to be a professional runner was limited and that, you know, coaching would always be there. So I, so I made that hard choice to step back from college coaching. Um, and then when James approached me, I just, I realized that coaching online. was like, could fit with, with being a professional runner. And, um, I'm so happy that I'm doing it. Like, I just feel so much more fulfilled having these connections with other runners across the country. Um, so I'm really, really glad to be back at it.
0: And, and what are the backgrounds of some of these runners? Do they just like all over the place or do you work with specific, like different, you know, levels and how does it work?
1: Um, it's Pretty diverse, I guess, you know, I guess not surprisingly, like most people are running marathons and either going to Boston or want to BQ. I would say that's like the big, the big trend. I have a few that have no interest in the marathon. Um, but yeah, it's, it's all adults doing road races.
0: Nice. And different distances are mostly marathons and half marathons.
1: Uh, Every everything from the five k to the marathon. I've got um, one athlete that has a like long term dream of doing bad water. So um, that's a few years off, but um, I'll I'll, f- I'll figure out how to co- coach an ultra in the meantime.
0: Do you get athletes that just have no clue who you are or your background, or they generally are given like a heads up? I mean, do you feel like some are maybe intimidated? I'm just curious.
1: Yeah. Um, some know beforehand and are excited. Some don't know. And then when they ask like what my background is and I tell them they're a little concerned, like why did James match me with you? <laughs> 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 um, so, you know, I just kind of, I kind of explain to them like, you know, all the types of athletes that I'm coaching and that like they they fit right in, like it's, it's going to be fine.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, no, I can imagine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I always talk about, I remember when I first got into coaching, um, there was, I think my third or fourth client, I hadn't done a marathon yet and, or really coached anyone, but I was working with a coach who was very experienced. And I remember like getting to that point where the, the athlete was kind of like, wait, you know, tell me about your experience. You know, it was just totally foreign to hers and had to kind of convince her and, and, fortunately it worked out. Um, I think it's some of the great coaches, right. Who probably, Like some of them haven't even run before. Um, right. so, but again, it's hard to kind of make that, that, that sale, um, to some people might be skeptical at first. <laughs> Have you learned anything from these athletes? Like when you think about your own training, um, or is it just learning sort of as a coach too, as you go?
1: Um, yeah, I'm learning, especially like with some of the beginners, um, I'm learning to not like take for granted that they like understand things that I think would be pretty basic. Um, so like a mistake I made was the other day I had a woman, um, race and when, when we, when she first came on board, she'd, she'd. Couched herself as uh, I'm not one of those runners that likes to sign up for races. And I was like, okay, interesting. Well, I think it would be great if you raced. And and racing's really fun. And we talk about that. And so I wanted, you know, I encourage her to put a race on the schedule so that we could like build the training towards that. And so she did. Um, and it was great, like her V dot projected her as running like. 929 pace for 10k and she ended up averaging 914 pace so like you know it was very like affirming like everything we're doing is working and you're getting faster um and one thing she said though was uh oh, my legs were just frozen at the beginning and my lungs were burning at the end and i was like mm-hmm. your legs were frozen at the beginning and i was like and i was like did you warm <laughs> up <laughs> And she was right. like, "No, just some stretching." And I was like, "Oh, okay." So it's like, okay, like that for me was a moment of like, okay, like I like you know so, some runners who don't have a lot of experience, like you even have to coach them on like this is how you prepare to stand on the start line of a race.
0: Yeah, think, <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah, strides, things like that, I yeah, for granted. And then even now, like with with the technology, the way that the workout can sink to a garment and they just many athletes love it because they just kind of hit start. They don't even have to remember what they were doing and just kinda walks them through it. Mm-hmm. But then I always forget, like, okay, to you know, let's say you had a couple miles of warm-up running, and then whatever the first set of the workout is, maybe it's mile repeats or something. And I oftentimes will forget, like well, no, after you don't have to go right into that first mile repeat, you know yeah, <laughs> I think back to like some of my workouts, like where I felt just absolutely terrible on the warm up jog and needed like to get my head straight for like twenty five minutes before I start in the first you know interval, like doing strides and loosening yeah. up and hydrating, yep. maybe going in the bathroom, so yeah, it's stuff like that it's it's. I've seen a lot of people that will just go right into it, you know, work and go right in. So it's scary. Um, so that's interesting. So you're working with a lot of athletes and obviously balancing that with also training. Um, but it sounds like it's going well.
1: Yeah, it really is. Um, yeah, I mean, I just like, you know, I, I carve out my time in the day for my training. Um, and then, you know, in between, like I'm, I'm available for, you know, for coaching and, you know, I've had athletes be like, oh, I can't believe how responsive you are. And I'm more like, well, like, I think I'm way less busy than um, every athlete I coach. so <laughs> It's just not that, it's not that hard <laughs> for me to make myself available.
0: Right, That's great. That's awesome. Um, so talk a little bit, I want to get into, um, well, first talk a little bit about what you're training for now. And then I want to kind of get, take a step back and think it'd be great. Um for listening to hear about your progression. But just curious, like where you are now and and what the main focus and what the goal is. Um Yeah. Focus is definitely
1: Mm -hmm. focus is definitely on the roads. Um I don't have like a planned marathon yet, but I'm hoping that you know, sometime this year, um probably in the fall, I'll I'll be doing a marathon. Um, but like immediate goals are New York Half and uh Cherry Blossom 10 mile. Um I also I would really like to do the BAA 5K just so I can go to Boston and I have a ton of athletes running Boston but I haven't actually talked to my agent about that one yet.
0: Okay. So is it are you shifting up? Is that the the deal at this stage in your career is it mostly going to be roads yeah. and marathon? Is that the plan?
1: That is the plan. Um Yeah, and and, you know, it was the plan for a long time. Like I didn't anticipate staying on the track as long as I did, but um had some injury stuff that just made me feel like I didn't have I ran out of time in the last Olympic cycle to feel like I was could master the marathon before the trials in 2020. Mm. Um, and so I decided to stay on the track. And then with the pandemic, like things got moved in another year. So I feel like it's this is like long overdue. I'm very ready to to move off the track and move up in distance.
0: Okay. But you did, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. The your 5K PR was in 2019, all right?
1: Yeah, yeah, it was. Um yeah. So I mean yeah, things were still going well um on the track in, in 2019 for sure.
0: Yeah. That's incredible. So how old were you? Was were you 32? Am I am I right? And when you ran the five KPR? thirty
1: three. Sorry, this
0: just got really personal.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm. I'm just. You're just listening to me try to do math right now. Um, I'll right. I'll be, be thirty six in March, and that was in 2019. So I think I was, uh, thirty
0: three. Wow, that's impressive. Um, <laughs> thank you. So, what about like shifting training, like? You were still running that fast on the track, I mean you in your mid thirties um was there anything different from what you had been doing, like leading up to two thousand and twelve and two thousand and sixteen, like any major change, or is it just staying healthy and peaking at the right time
1: um, it was oh yeah, a little bit of that, although I wouldn't say i I was really staying healthy like like that race in particular was kind of like this huge sigh of relief because things hadn't been perfect. Um, and, and yet somehow I'd, I'd managed to like cobble together a few good workouts that, that made me think like, okay, I I am fit. Um, and then my agent got me in the race. It was over in, um, the Netherlands. And so it was just kind of like flew over to Europe and then like knocked out a PR. And that was just, you know, it was just like a very exciting moment. Whereas like, that the window like 2012 especially it was just like everything was perfect all the time and and so i was stacking so much consistent training that that was leading to like big breakthroughs ah
0: uh, okay interesting i i asked is there, i always think of i was at a party once in in flagstaff and i asked jack Daniels cuz he was talking about he was coaching magdalena belay and she i think she was 39 40 at the time and she was just setting like prs in the 1500 and the 5k and everyone was like jack you know what's going on like what what is she doing he was just like oh she just we just changed her training a little bit like that was his response Mm -hmm. (laughs) oh okay (laughs) just just made a change in her training like she's doing more reps or but it was very like simple like yeah she just changed but It's interesting to see um, just the way that a lot of athletes. Now, we had um, Melinda Elmore, who was a 1500 meter runner and like her heyday. And now she's Canadian record in the marathon at 39 or 40. Mm -hmm. uh, And just totally has been thriving on her transition to the marathon. But so nothing significant. It was just you caught a hot race. and. It was a lot of years kind of accumulated and and just caught the right day in Europe. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. Like I think, really, when I look back, I would say my training was better in 2013. My training was better in 2014, and I just never got in the right race where I, like, I feel like since 2013 i've had so many years where i've thought like oh like i'm definitely gonna break 15 this year and it just hasn't happened which was really frustrating um and so then in 2019 it's like you know things i was seeing in training weren't as good but the i still ended up having the best race ever and there's just the the right weather and the right situation and uh the right you know and i actually think the, like tracks are getting faster like the surfaces they're producing mm-hmm. um so it just, i think it was just all those factors
0: sure sure and then in terms of the marathon, um I saw you at a half the, your half PR is 109.44 now. From- mm-hmm. so yeah. that's from 2015. Yeah. So not many half since I assume.
1: I've not not a single half since then. <laughs> that was really the I mean, so in the build up to that half marathon, I ran a half marathon like at steady state pace. Um, so I, I'd covered the distance in a workout and in a race environment, but I would say that one half marathon in Houston in 2015 was really the my only time racing the half marathon ever. Um, I know. So, you know, I'm, I'm really excited, uh, to, to get to New York in March and and finally take another crack at it.
0: Yeah. That's a fun one. Um, so you get some good weather. So, and, and then in terms of just marathon, is it something you've been like thinking about for a while like i'm gonna thrive as i bump up or is that has that been a transition for you like are you a trackster um i don't know too much about your background but just curious
1: yeah it was um it's always appealed to me just because my my favorite day of the week is long run day like it always has been um Mm -hmm. and you know it's like Right when I graduated from college, so 2009, maybe like that fall, I started doing my first like longer tempos, like eight to 10 miles. And, um, I just found them so easy compared to the traditional, like 20 to 25 minute tempo. Um, and so that also kind of got in my head is like, wow, maybe like I'm actually, you know, meant for the longer distances. Um, and so you know, it was just like a, a timing thing about like, well, when's the right time to like make your debut. And maybe I got a little antsy. I don't know. I, I made my debut in 2016 in, in New York, um, coming off of Rio and the training was amazing. I, you know, I had a great time. I was so happy, um, in that buildup. And then the race was just absolutely the like hardest, most humbling thing I'd ever done. Um, and mm. that's, so that, that made, that gave me a little bit of,
0: pause. (laughs) What was the weather that day? I'm trying to, I'm pretty sure I was on the course, but I'm, I don't remember.
1: It was pretty typical, like cold, um, cold and a little bit of a breeze, but not, not bad for New York. Yeah.
0: And what, where was it on the course that really, had you spent time on the course before that race?
1: I had, yeah. New York Roadrunners brought me out to do the Bronx 10 miler and then like, and then stayed for an entire weekend. And, um, we ran, I think we ran everything except the first eight miles of the course, um, that weekend. So, so I definitely knew the course, but really like, I think where I fell down was, well, two things. One, I, you know, if I could do it all over again, I wouldn't make my marathon debut coming off the Olympic games. Like it's just emotionally, it was a lot.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: um and then two i raced like a total track runner i um (laughs) like right around mile eight like so like the the lead pack um had had pulled away in the beginning and i you know and i was kind of like no like i gotta be disciplined stick my paces and then like they slowed down and i could see them and i was like you know what i think if i just throw in a surge here like they'll be Mm -hmm. good bridge and so like between, like for the next five miles, like up to the half point, I was just like, it was like I was running a fart. Lick. Like I was just like surging and then I would be like, oh, I should back off. And then I'd be like, I'd seat someone and would be like, I'm just going to reel them in. And I wasn't just like locked into to my race and and my marathon rhythm. And then by the time I got to Queensborough Bridge, I just like, I mm-hmm. wanted to walk. Um, and And so it was just a very long, long, slow run to the finish from there. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's such, it's such an exciting start too, and then after mile eight, it's tough. I mean, it's pretty, yeah. tough, pretty tough course. Um,
1: yeah, it is.
0: Yeah. So, okay, interesting. So then, was that was your debut? But have you run one
1: since? Nope, I'm not.
0: You haven't. Okay.
1: Yeah.
0: And then what's so. the, the next one coming up? You said.
1: Did you I, say? I no, I don't. I don't know. Like I. I I hope it'll be this fall. Um, I really, yeah, I trust my agent. She has really good judgment. So I think when, when she feels like I'm ready, she'll, she'll tell me where to go and it'll be a a good situation for me, I think. So we'll see.
0: What's your volume like now compared to when you qualified in the 5k?
1: Um, the same, I would say like right now, like, like mid eighties. Um, when I was training for New York, it was in the hundreds. Like I got, yeah, I did over a thousand miles in 10 weeks. Um, but yeah, my, my typical kind of baseline is like 85 to
0: 90. Okay. But you were up in the, the low hundreds or somewhere around there. Yeah. 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 Okay, cool. And you seem like you handled it. Okay. But the, again, weird, like coming off the Olympics, like you said, that's tough.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I did handle it. Okay. I, um yeah. yeah, I felt great in the training.
0: That's awesome. Um so I want to talk I think like for our listeners it'd be great to kind of break down as much as as much as we can just that um improvement from college to the Olympics. So I I I just noted I think it's almost a minute right from 2008 to uh 1617 uh, 15 14 in london right roughly yeah yeah. four years a minute (laughs) you get a
1: minute (laughs)
0: Um, yeah so yeah as much as we can i just watched an interview of you before we got on just doing like some final preparation it was great it was after the trials race i think it was with flow track um and i put in quotes here on my notes that that your mom knew. <laughs> I love because you said, with, I think in 2008. Um, and again, just to put this into perspective, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think you were 80th at NCAA cross country as your senior year, which would be 2007, yep.
1: 2008. Um, uh, yeah, fall of 2008.
0: And so, and then you were a 16, 17 runner in the 5K. Um, so well off being able to, make an olympic team or even consider but your mom was still considering you an olympic contender in 2008 you said you had a conversation with her like when you were watching the trials yeah in 2008
1: <laughs> Well, you're watching the olympics she was just like so oh, swept okay. up in it and i at that point i was thinking you know like graduation was coming a year later and i was like think like I knew about Macmillan Elite here in Flagstaff. And I was like, so I just kind of like discovered this whole realm of the world where people like chase the dream. And I was like, I'm not done. Like, I like, I want to keep running. And I was like, what if I could get to the Olympic trials one day? Like, that would be so cool. And so then I have this conversation with my mom and she's like swept up in Olympic hype and, you know, all about Michael Phelps and... (laughs) And she's like, I think you can do it to me. Like, and I was like, yeah, like, I think I could, like in my brain, I'm like going to the Olympic trials. And she's like, I think you go to the Olympics. And I was like, Oh my gosh, mom, no, what are you talking about? <laughs> it was like, one of those like, Oh mom, like you're, you're so annoying moments. Like the Olympic trials and the Olympics are two to- totally different ball games. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: That's hilarious. And so coming out of college, like that's where you were. Did so so you didn't join a group though, right? Those, that's when like, there were a bunch of post-collegiate groups kind of forming, which was very yeah. kind of give people hope to, to keep training. But so where were you? I think you were coaching then, right? At that point. Correct. But- mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So I had, um, I had four different coaches in college. Um, and so Drew Wartenberg came for my fifth year and he definitely was like very encouraging about, you know, like, continuing to run and, and, you know, figuring out how to carve my path. Um, and I, I still like looked hard at McMillan elite. Um, and in the end, like what I was worried about was that, that I was a 16, 17, 5k runner. And I was like, and I, you know, I'd had problems with injury and I was like, if if I never make it, if I'm not someone that can ever get a shoe contract, I was like, there's no safety net. I was like, you know, I, like I still felt like I had to kind of like answer to my parents in terms of like, what are you going to do with your life? Um, and so I realized like, you know, Drew offered to continue coaching me and and that gave me the opportunity to start coaching myself as his assistant in the program. And so I felt like that allowed me to start like carving another career path that was kind of like, available to me if, if running didn't pan out. Um, and then, you know, and then like things had been going really well with drew and I really liked working with him. And so there was also like appeal and not having another coaching change.
0: Yeah. And, and then what, what were you doing to sustain yourself at that point? Did, did you have to get a job or when did the shoe contract come in place? Like how long?
1: Um, yeah. So the, the first year my parents said, okay, we'll support you for a year and then, and then you have to figure it out. So that, that like made a huge difference that they were willing to like give me that shot, um, to chase. And then after a year I got hired at UC Davis as a coach in the program. So I went from being a volunteer coach to, to a paid assistant coach. Um, so that was how I then bridged the next gap. And then I'd, I didn't get a shoe contract until I'd made the Olympic team though.
0: Wow. So four years later. Yeah. Wow. So that whole time, it's just working as an assistant coach. And um, were you doing private coaching then or just mostly focused on training?
1: Pretty much focused on training. I I had one other client um, that I coached like via email um, back yeah. then. And um, he paid me. And then my massage therapist, we'd worked something out where um, I... I wrote her training and she gave me a massage. So I didn't have to pay for massage.
0: (laughs) Trades are always good.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That was good experience too, because she was an ultra runner and she was like, I want to work on my speed. So I want you to write me marathon training. Um, and so <laughs> that, that was like, that was really good though, because I was just like, you know, pulling Daniel's off the shelf and the Hanson's marathon method off the shelf. And I was just like teaching myself out of books, how to uh, write a marathon program. <laughs> so that was my intro to writing marathon training.
0: Nice. That's <laughs> great. So then what was the, the difference you think at that point? So you have four years, was it just steady? improvement so you that kind of kept you in the game like hey i'm still improving i gotta keep doing this and and now you're finally training a little bit like a professional athlete
1: yeah it, exactly i um that first year out i um my my big goal my, my unfinished business from college other than not making it to nc2a's on the track but the other one was i didn't break 16 and so um i really wanted to break 16 and my first 5k that year i ran 1601 and then the second one i ran 1559 so it was like i cracked under and then i ran another 5k later that spring ran 1551 so um you know breaking that barrier was a big one mentally for me and then you know to like get under it a second time and improve even more was like okay like you know i I just felt really good about um there was just never like a huge huge breakthrough where i just like pr by 30 seconds or something it was just like i would take these like. 10 second 5 to 10 second chunks off at a time. Right. Um and then so then you know that kept me definitely like motivated and hungry for 2011 and then in 2011 I lowered it down to like 1538 over the course of the season. And then that fall I went to the roads and that um I finished on the podium at a couple US road championships. I made like $20,000 in prize money and so that for me like $20,000 was significant then. Um, and so that, that really kind of allowed me to feel like, yeah, I'm like still making progress. I'm, I'm, I'm beating people that are sponsored. I very naively thought that if I just beat people that had shoe contracts, those same companies would want to sponsor me too. And it definitely didn't work out that way. (laughs) But, um, but I was just like, you know, having all those little successes just like kept me really motivated to keep with it. Um, and then in 2012, I opened the season with a 15.24 and so then I was 5 seconds off the Olympic standard and that that was the first time that was April of 2012 was the first time I ever was like wait could I make it to the Olympics like wow. I like now I'm only 5 seconds away from the standard and PRing by 5 seconds is exactly what I do like every time I race basically so I suddenly started thinking like this is possible
0: Wow. So till then it was just, it was steady improvement kind of kept you in. I mean, before that, were was there a point where like friends or family were kind of like, Kim, you know, how long are you going to keep doing this? Um, Or did you have, you just, that was the beauty. You had like total support and that was part of what kept you going.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I did have total support. I think actually initially like graduating from college was more when people are like, what are you doing? Um, (laughs) Because I'd like, I'd, I'd been on track to go to PT school um, all through college. And I, you know, I'd applied, I'd gotten accepted, like it was all set. And then I suddenly was just like, I don't want to do that. Like I need to chase this dream. And people were like, what are you doing? Wow.
0: Um,
1: So yeah. So by, by 2011, 2012, it was like, I was getting paid to coach, like, and I was kind of like, you know, living out this other dream. On the side almost and so um so everybody was supportive of that
0: i don't know why i asked because like your mom knew she knew you were going (laughs) (laughs) of course she was supportive um i'm curious the pt has had that been an asset or has it been an asset like for you as an athlete to have that knowledge i talked to a coach who was like exercise science in college and made it yeah point like i kind of i'm really good at getting a lot on my training i think because i understand you know what's going on in the body and how to
1: find yes absolutely yeah so my major was exercise biology um and and i took some really cool courses at davis like my, my favorite one was called um environmental effects on human performance and so that one dealt with like altitude training um, or heat training, you know, stuff like that. It was like all, you know, kind of like different environments you can put yourself in and how that's affecting your ability to perform. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, having that as my background. And then, you know, when I started coaching, like realizing how all the different types of workouts you're doing, like what physiological system that's applying to, like that gave me, or made me feel like, like I had so much more purpose with my training. Like I really understood why I was doing everything I was doing, you know, whereas like when I was younger in college, um, I would like, I hated tempo runs. I was just like, I was like, Oh no, are you kidding me? I've got this. Like, why can't we just like, you know, hit quarters on the track every time? Like, that's all I wanted to do. Um, but once, once I really like synthesized everything, like about what I'd learned about the body and then, you know, like reading books, like, you know, Daniel's running formula and understanding like why I was doing what I was doing. Then, um, I just felt much more like purposeful and driven in my training. That's great.
0: That's awesome. Um, okay. So then we get to the trials. I think a lot of people know this race finish. They can look it up on YouTube, watch the NBC, um, footage of you, um, outleaning Julia to to make the team. And coming back to that interview that I watched, what I thought was really cool, I made a note again, <laughs> was when Drew, um, he told you, I think it was the last K, he said, do quote unquote, do something heroic. I think I got that right. Um, mm-hmm. And you said that uh, that was kind of in your head in the final hundred or whatever. You know distance sort of in that last lap that was what you were thinking of and i was like that's incredible like you, <laughs> the, there you go that's why coaches are important like look at that like you are still you know thinking of your coach's advice in the, like the heat of the moment like at the very end and that's kind of helped drive you and i was wondering because you talked about how you visualized it a million times and you couldn't believe it actually happened the you know the way you visualized it and we always tell people like visualize the race like don't just do it the day before you have to practice that too and um do you think that was part of like because you prepared so much mentally too that you were still that focused on the plan that's what blew me away i mean I've, i've seen that clip and i'll never forget that moment um you know i can't believe it's 10 years ago. Um, but I just, that's, that was awesome listening to that interview. I just love to hear you kind of talk about that.
1: Yeah. I mean, like, you know, I guess, so I guess what I'll say also though, or add into that is like, I still, I still struggled in the race. I still had like, a like mentally weak moment where, um, you know, we had this plan. So I didn't have the Olympic standard. I needed a PR by five seconds in order to get it. So I wanted to do that. And then I wanted to, to be able to contend to finish in the top three at the end. Um, but you know, championship races are notoriously tactical and they start slow and, and they're not fast. And so I was really worried, Drew and I were both worried of like, well, this race can't be too slow. Like it has to stay on pace for the Olympic standard to be within reach. And so I led a lot in the beginning. Um, more, more than I typically would, especially for a championship race. But I just, you know, I needed to make sure that we didn't just like jog around for the first half of the race. Um, which I
0: totally, I totally forgotten that because my recollection was just Julia just took it out and broke the And then it was just the scramble to kind of reel her in at one point. But so, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, but I, I had totally forgotten that you had pushed it cause you, you needed to make sure, but then you got disconnected.
1: Yeah. So it's just like, it's a hard balance to strike because I was like, well, I have to keep this race on pace, but I also need to like save something in the because in the tank, because you no, know it's going to have a fast finish. And I typically try not to look at the clock during races. I just, you know, I just try to race, um, especially in championship races, but I did look at 3000 meters, saw the time and I was like, oh, we're way too slow. And so I just thought the Olympic standard was out the window and I, you know, I thought the Olympic dream was over. Um, and so I, I, I felt a little bit defeated, um, at that point. And it was not long after that it was with three laps to go that Julia made that huge move and just really like tried to like, you know, break away for the win in heroic fashion. Um, and so when that happened, like, Julie and Molly went around me very easily and I just broke um and mm. and I I was disconnected and so then when I got passed by another group I just faded and I was I was back in eighth place um with like two laps to go. Um
0: and, and yeah go ahead I'm sorry.
1: No no you go ahead.
0: <laughs> well I was going to say like when I rewatched it um I just can't get like I'm just fascinated with 200 meters to go. You're not in the picture. I mean, you're <laughs> yeah. not even close to in the picture. <laughs> like, and you said like mentally, of course, like you had got disconnected. Like I think any normal person would have just thrown a pity party at that point. Like it's over. Um, wh- I mean, when did it first hit you? Like they're coming back or like that you still, cause you're still at that point, I think you had said like, I kind of lost whether I still had a chance to make the standard. I was just racing at that point. Yeah. Even then, like you were so far out. When did you realize that it was still (laughs) worth like racing third? Just amazing.
1: Right. Well, so exactly. So, yeah, like two laps ago, I'm in eighth place feeling sorry for myself 200 meters later with 600 to go, I heard Drew yelling for me. That's where he was standing. And, you know, he, I can't remember exactly what he was yelling, but it was, you know, this typical, very encouraging um, Mm -hmm. words. And that's when I like remembered the note that he'd hand me that said, you know, in the, in the, those final, you know, final laps of the race to just do something heroic. And I was just like jolted. It was like, what am I doing? Like, you know, having this pity party back here, like, we've worked so hard and, and, you know, my parents had been so supportive and there have been all these people on the journey that had been so supportive that I was like, I just have to leave my heart out on this track. Like you want to walk away from the Olympic trials feeling like you gave the race everything you had in you. And so I I rallied, I was in you know the back of a group sitting in eighth place. And I just looked ahead and was like, I could be in fifth place right now. Like, I know I have that in me. And so I just like surged around them to move into fifth place. And once I was out of that pack and could see ahead on the track so now we're like approaching a lap to go that's when I saw that Julie and Molly passed Julia and then I was like she's really slowing down like she was paying really hard for that move that she had made earlier and so even though Abby D'Agostino was actually between me and Julia I wasn't even really focused on Abby at all I was suddenly just like you know, Olympic standard out the window, Olympic dream gone. I was like, but what if I could finish on the podium at the Olympic trials? Like that would be an amazing outcome. And, you know, like something that would make this whole journey and process feel really rewarding. So, um, yeah. And that last like 300 meters, I just started like churning away, just, you know, and kind of in a desperate attempt to try to finish just on the podium. Um, and I think I passed Abby with about a hundred meters to go. And, and Julia, Julia was still like, quite a bit ahead, <laughs> but, but she was yeah. like, like I was moving really fast at that point and she was moving pretty slow. And so, um, I just, I, I pulled up alongside her right at the line and I leaned, um, kind of out of instinct, kind of out of something I'd rehearsed my entire life, just messing around, like with friends, like you, you know, race into the car from a run and pretend like you're a sprinter and lean a line or like, at Davis, mm-hmm. um, with the guys team, you know, like we would like run into the gate at the track and we'd like all lean in invisible finish tapes at the track. <laughs> yeah. So it was just like something we played around doing. And, and then in that moment, it just like came out of me and, and I leaned at the finish line.
0: Uh, so you kind of pieced it together, like just, Oh, I can get to fifth. But in that mm-hmm. moment in your head, it wasn't like get to fifth to get to third. It was just get to fifth. That's all you could see at that moment.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then once I was in fifth, I was like, wait, could I get into third?
0: Wow. That's incredible. It's so cool because the sport, I mean, so often it's like everything's for time, right? Like, oh, I got to get in a hot race or and mm-hmm. oh, if the race isn't running the time you want, then, it, you know, the race kind of goes in the tank or you you kind of go through the motions um i was watching a Sidious mag thing after milrose and the guy who i'm blanking on his name who won the mile on the men's was making fun of Matt central it's like you know after you won in the 1500 that like tactical like rate because he's such a tactician and he races Mm -hmm. well they're like they're never going to let that happen again like they're just gonna (laughs) go out and it's gonna be a time trial and he's like give me a break like i can run fast too you know they were like busting each other it was funny but i was thinking like that's so true more and more it's just all about time like people are just afraid to race because it's just but when you do you never know what can come out of it like that you know you were just racing in at that point and it worked out for you
1: yep yep that's that's why i love championship races
0: (laughs) yeah what was the last 200 was it a a crazy split or is it just that people kind of went forward and came back hard (laughs) or was it yeah
1: it it wasn't as crazy as it as you might think i think my last lap was like 68 seconds
0: okay right right that's what i thought i was just curious
1: um yeah
0: always hard to tell the camera um any crazy fun Olympic experiences? You were, I think you were 12th, both Olympics, right? And London and Rio. Um, I think 12th, I
1: 12th in my heat. So yeah. I didn't, I didn't qualify for the final either time. Yeah.
0: <clears throat> right. Any, any experiences, anything you learned? Um, anything fun? I don't know. Any, any fun stories? I'm just curious.
1: Um, I mean, just the, like, especially in London, just the whole experience was so fun. And, and, you know, I was just like, I was kind of in shock, like still from the Olympic trials. Cause it was just so amazing to have qualified in the way that I did. And so like every moment just felt like so amazing, um, you know, walking in the opening ceremonies was just like, it was just surreal. Like, you know, you like almost like you want to say a dream come true, except I never, it's not even something I ever dreamed about. <laughs> It was just like something I watched on TV and never imagined that I would get to be a part of. And so then to, to be among the athletes was just like incredible. Um, and then I remember another day where I'd been watching the diving and, and, you know, watching American win the gold medal. And then, uh, the next day I got into the elevator in my building at the Olympic village and he's in the elevator wearing his gold medal around his neck. And I was just like completely starstruck. Um, couldn't, you know, couldn't say anything, but I was just like staring at the medal (laughs) (laughs) that's (laughs)
0: <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome so the first one was like a celebration i mean the second was it more disappointing it, to, to not do as well as you wanted um
1: yeah way you know, more disappointing because i i came off london and i was like so excited and inspired i'd you know i'd made so much progress over the last three years that i was just like now I have four years ahead of me and I'm going to get to Rio and I'm going to be a way better athlete. And, I, you know, it was just like, you know, I just like felt like, you know, like anything was possible. Um, and I did make really big gains over that four years. Like, um, in 2013, I went to, I qualified for the world championships and I made it to the final and I finished 12th in the final. And then in 2014, um, I won my first U.S. title on the track in the 10,000 meters, and I, you know, I outkicked Jordan Hesse. and it was just kind of like that was like a, a big moment for me. Um, and then 2015, I, I ran that half marathon, and that that was U.S. half marathon championship, so I I won a second national title, and it just felt like everything was clicking. Um, I ran 4:24 in the mile along the way. It was just like, you know, I just I, I made like big leaps. And then I got to Rio, and I had a I had a bad race, and I finished twelfth in my heat, and I didn't make it to the final. And it was just like, oh, after all after all that, it was like I didn't yeah. I did return to the Olympic stage, but I I didn't actually perform any better.
0: Do you? Was it partly the heat? I mean, do you perform? Do you have a history of issues in the heat, or no? Was it just
1: um, on that day? Yeah, it's 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 hard to say. I I think. I may have overdone the training a little bit. It wasn't as hot in Rio as I anticipated. And I, um, I went to Houston in July and prepared in the humidity, like thinking I was going to be like really ready, but I think I overcooked myself. Interesting. Um, Yeah. So I just, yeah, I just got to Rio and. I don't know. I mean, you know, maybe I took it way too seriously. Like I didn't go to the opening ceremonies and I was like, I'm here to perform and Mm. I didn't just like soak it all in in the same way as in London and have fun with it. Um, And then it just, I, I felt a lot more pressure, which was purely internal. I was putting on myself.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Okay. And then with the heat, you generally just to kind of help inform um, anyone. So before, an anticipated hot race what what's your approach just to get in a few weeks obviously not ideal to go straight from like flagstaff to rio but um just to spend a few weeks before you go to the hot you know climate is that the idea
1: yeah we've done um two weeks um but you know to be honest i don't feel like i've ever nailed it i feel like i um mm-hmm maybe maybe overdo it it's 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 really hard because what people say like what physiologists say is like you have to treat it like altitude like it's it's hard but you still it's different than altitude at altitude there are like certain paces that i cannot run at 7000 feet whereas like you know when you're in Houston or you're in Kansas City and training in humidity like you can still run fast um but i think it takes a toll
0: right interesting okay yeah i kind of feel the same way just from my own body um interesting okay so then what's you said no marathon Oh, i want to ask real quickly so just to get it straight you you got the shoe contract finally you had mentioned after first qualifying right so was, mm-hmm. so you qualify then you got the shoe contract and um and then had a long time relationship with with new balance right
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, Yeah. So I got it um, in the summer of 2012. And then just at the end of this year, they didn't take the option um, on my contract. So it's, it's over now, but basically lasted 10 years.
0: Gotcha. Wow. So it was a long, long time with New Balance. And what do you run in now? um, Now that you're a free, free agent?
1: Um, well, same. Right now, still New Balance because I still have so many shoes. Yeah, uh,
0: <laughs> but yeah, I
1: mean, my my agent is working on uh, on a new deal um, with another company, so ho- hopefully that comes together, and uh, we'll see. We'll see if that happens.
0: Nice. Okay, that's exciting. Um, yeah, but still. So you're you're on the, the marathon, and maybe this fall we'll see you. Uh, hmm.
1: That's, that's what I hope. Yeah. And,
0: and shooting for the trials and marathon that's next.
1: Yep. Exactly.
0: All right. I hope mom knows something again. Um,
1: <laughs> me too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> number three would be pretty incredible. Um, yeah. Awesome. Kim. Well, thanks so much for spending time. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was fun. i over here.